Okay, someone get us started by opening us up with a word of prayer, please. Please, and thank you. Okay, go for it, Sam. Thanks. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for this day. I just thank you that we have the opportunity to come and just gather um, and have fellowship with one another, but more importantly, learn about your word. Um, Lord, just thank you that we have a packed room tonight. Um, Lord, I pray for each person in here that we'd all have soft hearts and ears to hear. Um, Lord, that you'd speak through Stephen. Um, nice words. Keep on going through the routine and the time uh, series and talk about relationships tonight. Um, Lord, as far as our future relationships, marriage is the second most important decision we'll ever make. Um, so I pray that we follow you and walk with you to be able to make that decision wisely. But I pray if anybody in, is in this room who hasn't made the most important decision as far as accepting you, Lord, I pray that they do that tonight. I pray also in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... <clears throat> So we were talking about redeeming the time, as Sam was praying about, um, and the end of this series is really talking about relationships, because again, uh, it is one of the most important decisions that you will ever make, and so we had a, a, a quite a hefty introduction last week talking about dating, engagement, and marriage, and why it's so important, and even leading us to this point. And this is a topic that is very important just in general, but I feel like, especially around your guys' age range, um, that there is just an extra... Uh, uh, just pressure and, and just when it comes to how the devil's working and your flesh is working and the enemies of God that are working to try to convince you to do things that you are not ready to do spiritually, emotionally. Um, I mean, gosh, I remember back, you know, I, part of my testimony is, you know, when it came to dating and things like that, I just remember the first time that I heard of a couple in my class that actually had sex together is when I was in, I was in sixth grade. And it may have happened before then, but I just remember that was the first time. And I remember who it was. And I remember how I was just kind of shocked by that. But there are things that unfolded when I was going through middle school and high school that if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, and then the pressure comes from you to make certain decisions when you're not ready, you're going you're gonna to fall and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make some serious blunders. And if there's anything that is, is very wise about this particular topic is you should learn from the wisdom of other people, from the mistakes that they've made throughout their lifetime. You don't have to make mistakes in order to be wise in certain areas of life. Um, some of us, were just stubborn and rebellious and prideful, and there's no other way for us to learn than just to make mistakes. But it doesn't have to be that way. And this has been an area of my life that you know, I have had great successes, but I've also had some great failures. And there's a lot of things that I look back on now that if I could go back and do it differently, I definitely would. And so, again, this series has been something that's born out of a heart of grief on me personally between my relationship with God that I really want you guys to be able to learn um, from some of my mistakes um, and just hearing some of my testimony, some of my heart on this issue. And even as far as our other leaders, the same could be said of all of them as well. So let's do a, just a touch of a review, and I want to just dive right in. So these are decisions that affect eternity. Uh, again, the most, the, the greatest decision that you will ever make is your, your decision to follow the Lord and, and to get saved, to become born again. That affects your eternity more than anything else, and that kind of goes without saying. But the second most important is the person that you're going to marry, because there are a lot of people, and I've known this personally with uh, other people that I've talked to, even some marriage counseling and some other situations uh, that I've been aware of just being a pastor and being in the ministry, that they've made some very serious, serious bad decisions when it comes to who they married. And who you marry is really going to affect the rest of your life. Because now your life is intimately joined with this other person for the rest of your days. And even though they say, well, yeah, but you can get a divorce. Well, okay, then you don't really understand divorce. 
Because what I've really learned and what I've seen, and especially even in my own family, um, with my grandma who got a, a divorce at a time where it was not popular in even within our society, is that divorce never solves anything. It just think, makes things a lot more complicated and a lot more difficult. And a lot of people think, well, I can just divorce this person and they're out of my life. Well, that's not the case, especially when children are involved. And so these are things that have serious, serious consequences. And I just remember at a young age, my mom always told me, uh, when it comes to decision making, if you doubt, don't. Because it's much better to not make a decision than to make one and it be the wrong decision, especially in this particular area. And we're talking about issues of the heart. And we're going to get into this in a couple weeks when we talk about what you can do to be ready uh, when it comes to having a, a dating relationship that leads into marriage, especially when it comes to sexual purity. Um, but there are things that you may participate in when it comes to a relationship and in a dating relationship that once you participate in it, you can't take it back. And these are lifelong burdens that you're going to have to carry for the rest of your life. And uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to overcome. It's not easy to work through these things. Uh, and there's a reason why God has built relationships the way that he's built relationships. So that's what we started talking about last week. So with dating relationships, this is Bobby's favorite picture. In fact, I think he posed for it, right? And then you, you got your hair cut because you had that man bun. Yeah, Bobby, definitely. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be talking about dating and relationships. All right. So this has been our picture that we start off with. Somebody explain this picture for me. We hit it last week in detail. Yeah, Emily. Um, so you're the little stick figure. The question mark is whoever you're in a relationship with, whether it be a friend, a parent, um, a significant other, and then God is represented by like, the throne. Yep. And so the idea is that the closer you guys both become to God, the closer you two become in your relationships. Yes. And that shows like the importance of having that strong relationship with God and being on the same page with Him as well. Yes, absolutely. And then we run, in, we run into the issue of, well, what if you want to grow closer with God, but that other person, whoever it may be, decides not to? What's going to happen in that scenario? Remember, there's two ways to go on that one. What's one way? Yeah. Like you walk with God. Yeah, you're going to compromise your own walk with God to maintain a relationship with this other individual because that person doesn't want to budge. And so the closer you get to God, you've got a choice to make. It's going to put strain on this relationship here or it's going to put strain on this relationship there and who's going to win. And there's a lot of people that choose to forego their relationship with God here in order to maintain this relationship with this other person. I've seen it time and time again. What's the other one? Yeah. If you want to maintain your relationship, God, you kind of have to limit like what you do with the other person. Mm -hmm. Maybe even cut off the friendship if it's affecting you in a negative way. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that ends friendships. Sometimes that ends dating relationships. Because honestly, this is where emotions can get very deceitful and very tricky because you get emotionally involved with another individual to the point where you're sharing emotions with each other that strictly, in the most strictest, strictest sense, are supposed to be reserved for a marriage relationship. And you start to have those kind of emotions for another individual, and then that person doesn't want to walk with God. And I would say more cases than not, people are willing to forsake their relationship with God, who they can't see, in order to be with the person that they can see. The majority, not everybody, but I have seen very few people, very few people, that are willing to cut this relationship out in order to preserve their relationship with God. Very, very few. Very few. And the only reason, and I'm thinking about one in particular right now, that a person is able to do that is because their walk with God was sound and strong before the other person came into their life. That's the only way that it happened. The only way. 
the only way. So there's a lot to talk about with that, but that's the basic overview, and we're going to get into more stuff with this in the future stuff. All right, so we're going to hit this verse here in a minute. So let's hit your paragraph. So, biblical guidelines for dating God's way. If you are willing to forsake your own way and believe God's word, then you will be able to purpose in your heart to establish biblical objective guidelines to help keep yourself accountable in relationships. Young men, God's will for you is to find a virtuous woman. That's this verse here. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Why are rubies so valuable? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. If they were blue, forget about it. <laughs> no, you are wrong, Carson. Yes. Because they're rare. Yes, they're rare, super rare. And so anything that is valuable is always rare. It's hard to find. So guys, you should determine in your mind already, out of the gate, before even dating somebody, that finding the right person is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be something that's going to exercise a great amount of patience on your part to not compromise and to not give in in order to find the right person for you. It's not going to be the first one that comes along, necessarily. If it does, then God's just super good to you. <laughs> but generally speaking, that's not going to be the case. It's not going to be the case. It's going to be something that's going to take some serious work, and it's worth the work, and it's worth the patience to find the right person. Take a look at this one. Proverbs 12, verse 4. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. That's what God says about a virtuous woman. A virtuous woman is a godly woman. She loves God more than her husband, and as a result of her wanting to please God, she ends up becoming a crown to her husband. And it doesn't really matter necessarily if the husband wants to follow God or not, because I know some people that have gotten saved after they've already been married, and there's been some tension in their relationship. But let's say, you know, the woman, for example, gets saved after they've already been married, and she wants to please God with all her heart. She can actually turn out to be an even better wife than she was in her lost state. But here's the point. A virtuous woman loves God so much, so much, that she wants to please God. And in pleasing God and doing what God wants her to do, then she will be a crown unto her husband. But if a woman is not virtuous and does not want to do things that are godly, then the only thing that's going to bring is shame and it's going to be like rottenness in his bones. And if you've ever had any rottenness in your bones, it's very, very difficult. It immediately takes me back to when I was younger. I was in uh, fourth, uh, fifth grade, and especially in sixth grade, but my cousin died of cancer. He had a super rare form of cancer, and I've shared the story with you before, but I remember the time where his cancer got so bad that it actually got into his bones. And there was a time at church where he, he loved kids. He loved hanging out with kids, teaching kids, and there was one time that he bent down to pick up a kid and, and just to pick him up off the ground, and when he did, his arm just snapped. And there's nothing to do about it because the cancer was smack dab in the middle of that bone and it was like rottenness in his bones. And so you start thinking about that, how fragile it is. That's exactly what a, a woman who is not virtuous is to her husband. It's like rottenness in your bones. And if your bones are like that, then how can you trust anything that you're doing? I mean, you could have a break at any point in time. So there's no confidence in your own body. And when God calls the husband and wife one flesh, and they're joined together as one flesh, and God looks at it from that perspective, that's exactly what it's like. When you have a relationship where you have two people that come together, and at least one of them decides to not walk with God, it's like cancer. And it weakens the body, and it destroys the body. And that's not what God desires for you. And that's not what God wants you to do to somebody else either. 
So, those are two great verses for the virtuous woman. And young women, God's will for you is to find a faithful man. So guys, your focus is to find a virtuous woman, which is going to be rare. But ladies, what you need to pursue is finding a guy who is a faithful man. Now, I love this verse. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And I'm telling you, I've, I've read this verse many times, but when I looked at it from the context of dating, I was like, oh my word. Because there's a lot of guys that they might say, yeah, I'm a good guy, but how can you actually know someone is good or someone is faithful? Ladies, how can you know that from, from a guy, about a guy? No. <laughs> I already can tell that you're not going to be of any help to me today. Yes. <laughs> Their actions. Over time, a period of time. That's what faithfulness is. Full of faith, but it's over a period of time. When you can look at a guy and you can see that this guy loves God, and it has nothing to do with you. But they love God. They pursue God. They want to serve God. And it can be seen over a tested period of time. Then you know that person's faithful. And here's the other true test of faithfulness. Watch them in times of difficulty. And if you've never been able to see a guy in a moment of difficulty, then he ain't worth your time until you see it. It's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk. And so think about that. Most men will proclaim, yep, I'm good, I'm faithful, but a faithful man who can find. It's very rare. Very, very rare. Very, very rare, especially in our day and age today. Okay, so here's the other key point on this one. But in order to find a virtuous woman or a faithful man, you need to cultivate your own virtue and faithfulness. And a very simple way to understand virtue is virtue is a strength, a spiritual strength that comes by doing what you know to be true. When someone does consistently, when they do what they know to be true on a consistent basis, it creates a spiritual strength inside of them that makes them steady, that makes them full of faith and very, very faithful. So you need to cultivate your own virtue and your own faithfulness if you really want to find someone that is going to be the best for you. So in order to do that, we're going to be hitting these three sections. So you need to answer these questions honestly and take personal inventory and evaluate what you need to do to be ready to pursue the Lord. And I worded that on purpose, pursuing the Lord in the worldly gray areas of dating. And so as we look at this, we're going to take a look at the spiritual side first. Just a quick reminder. We talked about this last week. God's way of doing things is always in this progression. He starts off with the spiritual first then the emotional, and then the physical. But when you look at it and you flip it completely upside down, the world's perspective is the world always looks at the physical first. It's the first thing that attracts people to each other. And it's the first thing that draws people to each other. And then from there, you start to notice your compatibility and your likes and your dislikes and the, and the different way that you think about things. And that's your more emotional state. And then the world says, if we ever get around to it, then we'll talk about spiritual things. That's always the world's approach. But God's approach is always the exact opposite. He wants you to have a spiritual foundation first. 
And then from there, you can start to edge into emotional. Because if you really do have a spiritual foundation that is solid and it is really based upon God's Word, it's going to affect your emotional state and who you are and your likes and your dislikes. It's going to impact those things. And then lastly, when it comes to marriage, comes the physical. So we're going to spend the next three weeks, this week being spiritual, next week being emotional, and last week being physical, talking about what are the things that we need to do to prepare ourselves for each of those things to make sure we're in the right spot. Yeah. Do you have, for the world's way, I think you have the, the physical and spiritual backwards because they're still in, they're just upside down. Yeah, the only thing that's different is the marriage engagement and dating, but you can just ignore that. What I was showing was that the world starts with the physical. So okay. I just flipped it upside down just okay. for the sake of it. Yeah. Don't overthink confused. it. It's okay. That's all right. We'll move on. All right. Okay. So we're going to talk about the spiritual. We're going to talk about the spiritual first. And so these questions should really help you to understand and really evaluate where you are at. And you need to be honest about it. Because here's the truth of the matter. The condition of your spiritual health and your spiritual stability is a direct result of the state of your heart before God. It really is. If you don't have a good, solid relationship, pun intended, if you don't have that kind of a relationship with God where your heart is, is firm before God, that you, you and God are on, on good terms and, and the state of your heart before God is not healthy, then your outward spiritual walk is not going to be very well at all. It's not going to be good. Because a yielded heart to the Lord is what really produces spiritual strength. So the things we're going to be talking about are things that... Yes, they're more on the outward. They're things that you can see. But they only happen when your heart is very submissive to God. So in all of these things, you can't confidently answer yes or any sort of an affirmative answer to any of these questions without having a yielded heart to God. Because that's really where it begins. And it doesn't mean being perfect at all. God's never wanting you to be perfect. All He really wants is for you to be willing and to be honest. That's all God is looking for. And in order for you to grow in your spiritual walk, it starts there. It starts with you being honest before God about your failures, about your shortcomings, about who you are, about even the way you're wired and the things you struggle with. It's all a part of that. So here's the first question. Am I in the center of God's will? Am I in the center of God's will? Let's go over to Acts 13.22. Acts 13.22. Am I in the center of God's will? Now, the New Testament teaches that there are seven wills of God. And I'll run through those really quickly. But I want you to see this verse first. Acts 13 and verse 22. Somebody read that for me. Go ahead, Ethan. And when he had removed him, he raised up them unto David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony. Said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So, how does God describe David, King David? Yeah, go ahead. Man after his own heart. Okay, and why? Because this verse also tells you why. Because he's going to fulfill his will. So, a person that is a man or a woman after God's own heart, they fulfill part of God's will? All of it. All of it. Now, David is a pretty good example, but also think back. For those of you who know the history of David, what was one of his greatest mistakes that he ever made? 
Bathsheba. Yes, Bathsheba. And what did he do? Somebody give a quick summary of the story. What did he do? Yep. taking a bath. Yes, when he should have been at war, protecting Israel, just fighting. Yes, it says very specifically, and that's your other reference here, Second Samuel 11, that when a time, the time where the kings are supposed to be at war, he was at home. So he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was not fighting the battles that God wanted him to fight, coincidentally. So when you're not engaged in the work, by the way, you're going to get super distracted and fall into pits that are just absolutely terrible. And I mean, there's a great lesson there. So he's not at that spot where he's supposed to be. And so then he walks out. And while he's on the rooftop, he sees Bathsheba and he lusts after her. And then he says to his servants, go get her. I want her. And he knows that this woman's married. In fact, Uriah, her husband, is one of his men of valor. One of his closest, most best warriors that trusted David, that David trusted him. And he took his wife, had sex with her, and then sent her away. She sent news back and saying, uh, I'm pregnant. And he's like, well, shoot. <laughs> what am I going to do about this? And rather than dealing with it, Honestly and truthfully and biblically, according to the law, he then tries to cover it up. He calls Uriah in from the battlefield. And he's like, Uriah, hey, how's the battle going? Hey, why don't you just go and spend some time with your wife? He wants to try to get Uriah to sleep with his own wife, so that way the pregnancy can then be labeled as Uriah's and not David's. And what does Uriah do? No. How can I go do that? How can I go home and, and lay with my wife when my brethren are out dying on the battlefield? Talk about a man of character. Way more than David in that moment. And so then David's like, well, that puts me in a difficult situation. So now what am I going to do? All right, I know. I will get him. I will get him full of food. And I'm going to make sure that he has everything that he needs. So that way he wants to go home so he can sleep in his own bed. So then he can have sex with his wife. And then it can be blamed on Uriah. And does he do that? No, he does not do that. He's a man of honor. And he doesn't want to do it. And so then David's like, okay, well, then the only other option that I have is that I have to put him in the forefront of the worst battle because he needs to die. That's the only way. Because once he's dead, now I can take Bathsheba to be my wife and I can actually raise this child to be my own son. This is David, the man after God's own heart. So he does that. Uriah dies, comes back, and everything's all, you know, kosher. Definitely intended on that one because since they're Jewish. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> and then from there, he's like, okay, I'm going to take her and she's going to be mine. And she's going to be my wife. And then he marries her. And then Nathan, God's prophet, goes in before David and he says, all right, let me share with you a little story. And through the story, David gets all mad. And Nathan says, you're the man. You're the one. You did what was wrong. And technically speaking, according to the law, David deserved to die. And Bathsheba. They both deserved to die. But God spared David because David had a hard attitude of pure brokenness before God. And you can read it in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the outpouring of David's heart about his brokenness and his sin with Bathsheba. He deserved to be murdered. I mean, killed. His blood ought to be shed according to the Old Testament law. But God spared his life because he was broken before God. Now, the baby ended up dying. As a result, and so did, frankly, uh, one of his boys, another one of his boys, and another one of his counselors. And that's where he restored fourfold, and God talked about that. So God told him there's consequences for your actions, and there certainly is. But God did not give David what he deserved. And the reason why David was a man after God's own heart, even though he was such a wretched, filthy sinner, kind of like you and I, 
is because he fulfilled all of God's will. God was not looking for David to be perfect. He was looking for David to be honest and truthful and humble. And I'm telling you, this is the core of most of our problems today. In your own life, in my own life, in relationships, is that we're not willing to be humble. We're not willing to be honest about our struggles and who we are. And it's the only place that you can begin to start to build spiritual strength in your life. The moment that you stop being humble, the moment that you stop being teachable and allowing God to have His way in your life, you cannot grow spiritually stronger. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. The moment you think you don't need God, then your strength is going to wax and wane very, very quickly. So here with the wills of God, this is very important. The New Testament teaches these things. And if you are in the center of God's will, if you are doing exactly what God wants you to do, these seven things are going to be in your life. Here's the first one. I am repentant. I am repentant. What does repent mean? Andy. To turn away from sin. Yeah, to have a change of mind. Specifically about sin, you turn away from sin. You don't partake in sin any longer. You forsake that behavior and you go the right way. But in its most basic form, it's you have a change of mind. Someone who's repentant, they are daily dependent upon God. There, there never goes a day where they can make it without God. And when you don't have a repentant heart attitude, then you will become self-confident, self-sufficient. I got this kind of an attitude, and it's all going to fall to pieces. It may not that day. It may not that week. It may not even that month or that year, but your life is going to fall apart eventually because you're relying upon yourself. And last time you checked, don't you know yourself? Like, I know me. Every time I've relied upon me, it has never gone well. Never. And God has had to break me, oftentimes, for me to understand how much I really need Him. Not just for salvation, but every single day. Because my own thoughts deceive me. My own hearts deceive me. It's, it's these, this part of me that I can't escape from, that if I'm not willing to forsake my own heart, my own attitude, my own thoughts and feelings, and adopt God's ways, then I'm never going to make it. Which means I need to be in God's Word every day. I need to be praying to God on a daily basis. Because I can't make it without Him. I can't make decisions in my life without talking to God and seeing what He says about it first. We get way too much in the habit of not consulting God. And you cannot have a repentant heart attitude without talking to the Lord and having a real relationship with Him. Salvation begins here, but walking with God continues at this point. And you will never make it spiritually if you don't have a repentant heart attitude. Number two, I am sanctified. Sanctified simply means that you're set apart from the things of this world unto God and His purposes. That you're completely set apart. That you're forsaking what the world tells you that you ought to do. And you are doing the things that God wants you to do. And practically speaking, that will affect everything you do in your life. It will affect the music that you listen to. The movies and TV shows that you watch. The time that you spend with certain people. The relationships and friendships that you have with certain people. And even for some of you, the way you dress. I mean, it's not that those things... I'm not being legalistic by any means. But here's what I'm saying. When you choose to be sanctified, it's saying, God, I'm letting you have your way in me. Whatever you, whatever you want, I will obey. If you don't want this in my life, then it will go. If you want me to do this, then I will do that. Because it's not about you and your opinions and your feelings. It's what does God approve. And so the next time you watch a TV show or a movie or you listen to certain music or you wear certain clothes or you have certain friends, would God approve of that? 
Would he approve? If he was standing right next to you, and by the way, he is and he does every single day throughout the day, would he say, wise choice? Would he? It's a very good question to ask yourself about many things in life. Number three, I am not conformed to this world. That's another will of God. You don't look like this world. You don't fit in. As Christians, we don't fit. We don't fit. You can try and try and try, but we don't fit. Do you fit too well in this world? And an easy way to tell that is, do the people around you even know that you're a Christian? Or do they say, wow, you go to church? Like, you actually love God? I'm shocked, because I would have never expected that. Or... Do they know that you're a Christian, but you're just like all the other Christians where it really doesn't mean anything? Because there's a lot of religious people out there, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make any impact on their life. So are you conformed to this world? It's God's will that you wouldn't be. Do you obey the authorities in your life? We've already talked about authority a couple weeks ago, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on it. But God wants you to be obedient to the authorities in your life. And I know sometimes that can be very difficult, but sometimes God is wanting you to just have a submissive heart, even if you don't agree. And that is one of the most difficult things to do. But I'm telling you, God will honor it. He will, because you're having a good heart attitude about it. Do you live a life of thankfulness? It's number five. Are you thankful and full of gratitude? And does it show? Do you have a good attitude about things? Or are you a constant complainer? Because if you're a constant complainer and you're unthankful, you have a miserable life. And I'm telling you, Life with Jesus Christ, it ain't miserable. It's one of the best things this world has to offer. It's the only thing in this world that actually has hope. So if you are not a thankful person, you cannot be godly. Number six, I have a right heart attitude. And again, this is very difficult, but this deals with matters of the heart. I have a right heart attitude. And that goes right in line with being thankful, obeying the authorities in your life, being sanctified, being repentant, all that goes hand in hand. And then number seven, I am not wasting time, which goes right in line with the series that we're teaching right now of redeeming the time that God has given you moments in your life and you are not squandering them. You're not wasting them. You're not throwing them away. So can you really say, looking at those seven things, that I am in the center of God's will? Or can you say, well, I'm one-seventh in the center of His will? <laughs> I mean, this is where you need to ask that question. And you really need to find out where you're at because when you're in the center of God's will, then God will lead you down His path and He will help you find that person that will most glorify Him and make your life the best that it possibly can be. But if you're not, and if you're not willing to, then you're going to end up down a path you don't really want to be on. Now sometimes, by the grace of God, people go down that path that they shouldn't be on. And then they become repentant. And then they do all these other things. And then God does some amazing things in their relationship. Because God is in the business of redeeming. But I'm telling you, that is a much harder way to go. Much harder way to go. And it's not guaranteed. Because you can only control your own heart attitude and your own decisions you're going to make in life. You can't control the decisions of another person. So let's say you get married to another person who's lost, per se, or who says they're a Christian, but they're really not walking with God. The only time, the only thing that you can control in that relationship is you. That's it. Not this other person. There's no way. So you can choose to please God, but now you've got this difficulty because you made this decision to join your life intimately with this person. When God says the two shall be one flesh, and this is how he looks at it, and now it's going to become very, very difficult. Very difficult. And marriage is already difficult when you have two people that are willing to be godly. It's not easy because we're sinners and we're very selfish people. 
And so good luck trying to join yourself to somebody else that has no interest in walking with God, no interest in, having, in adopting the values of God. It's going to be nearly impossible. So that's the first question. Am I in the center of God's will? Secondly, am I a faithful disciple and actively involved in the work of the Lord? Am I a faithful disciple and actively involved in the work of the Lord? Um, somebody read for me 1 Thessalonians 1.8. Who wants that one? Carson, you can take that. Everybody else go to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Okay, so am I faithful? Am I a faithful disciple and actively involved in the work of the Lord? But what is the work of the Lord? Two things. Anybody? What's the work of the Lord? Yes, evangelism is your first blank. Evangelism. And the second blank is discipleship. Evangelism, telling people about who God is according to the scriptures. Manifesting God's name. That's evangelism. It's not overcomplicated. And then secondly, discipleship. Learning how to walk with God. Learning how to walk with Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So are you a faithful disciple? And are you actively involved in the work of the Lord? Which means you're going to be partaking in evangelism in some form or fashion. And you will definitely be faithful in discipleship. 1 Thessalonians 1.8, listen to this one. For from you sound out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Okay, I love this verse. I'm going to have him read it again. This is about the people of Thessalonica, and they loved God so much, and they were so faithful in the work that God gave them, that this was their testimony. Read it again. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. So what can you learn about their testimony based on that verse? What did Paul say about that? Yeah. Sorry, they spread it everywhere they can. Yeah, and it wasn't like necessarily a strategic plan. They just lived it out. So Thessalonica, and then not only Macedonia and Achaia, but everywhere that we go, we hear about your faith. How is that possible? Well, think about it for a second. These people's lives were changed. They weren't the same. So that means that the things that they started talking about were different. The decisions that they, that they made were different. They were different people. They were doing different things. And it started to emanate out from their town. And so, hey, did you hear about what's going on in Thessalonica? Did you hear about what they're doing? Did you hear about what's happening there? No, what's going on? And it would have just spread like wildfire. So even from here, you have people out here that know about the Thessalonians that they never even talked to them about at all, about anything. But they just heard about their faith and how it's such, it was such a radical transformation of their life that they could not be the same. That's what happens. When you're walking with God, your life just begins to change. And it goes beyond just the words that you say into the decisions that you're making that you just start impacting people everywhere you go. It's very natural. It's supernatural, but the result is very natural as it goes out and starts to affect different people because you love the Lord. Because if He's changed your life, you want to talk about it. And it changes everything that you are from the inside out to every decision that you make. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, it says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, again, the same type of area that the Thessalonians were at, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. 
It's all they were doing. It's what they loved. They were passionate about it. They were addicted to the ministry. They could not get enough. So are you a faithful disciple or are you just a disciple? Are you a faithful disciple? Are you actively involved? Those are the key words there. Faithful, active in the work of God. If not, get to it. Get to it. Because God has a way of taking this kind of work and He changes you. And, and what I've noticed, uh, and there are some times where I've been stronger in this than others in my life, but when I'm involved in evangelism and discipleship and I'm thinking about these sorts of things, it has a multiplication kind of effect. It begins to not only strengthen myself, but also begins to just naturally impact other people because I'm choosing to walk with God. Because that's what a disciple is. It is someone who's doing the exact same things that Jesus did while he was here. That's all it is. And he loved people and he cared about them. And so when he had an opportunity, he went after it. And he talked to people about it. And he wasn't ashamed of God. And he wasn't ashamed of the things of God. The closer you get to God, the less ashamed of him you are. Because you really get to see him for who he is. All right, third question. Am I faithful in the little things in my life? Give me two readers. Matthew 25, 21. Who wants to read that one? Who can take that one? And then Luke 16, 10. Who wants that one? Gavin, yeah, you can take that one. Am I faithful in the little things in my life? Am I faithful in the little things in my life? All right, you can read Matthew 25 when you're there. Okay, so what was the condition on him being made a ruler over many things, according to that verse? Faithful in the little things. Yeah. So the reason why God could give him more is because he was faithful in the little things. Listen to Luke 16.10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Okay. A lot of times we just completely pass over this, but this is a biblical principle that rings true for the rest of your life. If God is going to entrust you big things, he has to be able to see little things in your life and you being faithful in those little things first. And just think about it from God's perspective. Why would God give you more if you're not faithful in the little things that you have now? I wouldn't. I mean, that's one thing that I look at with my own kids as a parent, which is a great picture of God towards us in that picture. Why would I give my son the responsibility of mowing the entire yard with our giant zero turn, from his perspective, it's not really that giant. Why would I give him that responsibility when I see what he does with this little push mower? We're all, it's all jagged and he's not even straight and everything and it's all over the place. But you know what? He came and he's like, oh, I'm terrible. I'm like, that's okay. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some practice, but you'll get those lines straight and you'll do a good job. You just started your very first time doing this. Good job. And that's what I did. But after I see him do that again and again and again, now I can say, okay, now he's ready for something bigger. This is a biblical principle that rings true for the rest of your life. Do you want God to be able to come into your life and say, I can trust you. That's a man, that's a woman that I can count on, that I can rely on. When things get tough and when no one wants to do the things that I've called them to do, she will, he will. Do you want that set of you? If you do, you need to be faithful in the little things. So that could be prayer and reading the Bible. It could be studying the Bible. Discipleship tasks. How do you do with discipleship tasks? If your discipler gives you verses to memorize or things to read or other homework assignments, how do you do with those things? Do you fail at it because you just are lazy or you just don't make the time to get it done? 
What about homework and other schoolwork? Are you a constant procrastinator? I know a lot of you are. And when it comes to those things, it takes it's a reflection. I have no confidence hiring anybody as an employer when you're not faithful in those little things. Why would I do that? It makes no sense. And it's not like, well, one day I'll be faithful. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. You have to choose and over time be faithful. It's a track record. Chores and responsibilities around your home. Can your parents count on you? Can they count on you to take care and pull your weight because it helps them and you want to bless them? What about job responsibilities? Are you the best employee at your work? You should be. You should be the best. You belong to God. You're in God's family. You should do the best you possibly can. What about spending money? Are you wise with money or you just waste it? Any chance you get a new paycheck, it's immediately gone because you're not faithful with your money. What about personal time? What do you do in your spare time? When you have an extra hour or two hours, what do you do with it? Are you fruitful? Do you spend it maybe on somebody else to bless them? Or do you bless yourself because you have time to yourself? Think about that. Because God's not going to entrust big things to you if you don't take care of these little things. The little things are always a reflection of the bigger things. Always. And if you don't handle the little things well, you can't handle the big things well. It's always a matter of the heart. And it comes down to what kind of a man, what kind of a woman do you want to become? It's not something that happens overnight. You have to make a conscious decision. I want to be a faithful man. I want to be a virtuous woman. And so because that is a heart desire that I have before God, I am going to choose to do these things, even if I don't want to, because I want to be faithful to my God. And then lastly, and this one's a big one. This is telling. If you're willing to be honest, this can tell a lot about who you are and your attitude. Are you attracted to someone that is in the center of God's will? Are you attracted to someone that is actively involved and faithful in the work of the Lord? Are you attracted to someone that is faithful in the little things in their life? Because whatever you're attracted to, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. And these are values that you should not compromise on. These are things that you should not compromise on. You want to look for someone that loves God. This is why last week I did the biblical and unbiblical reasons to date somebody. You've got to be honest about that. Because you don't just date somebody and get into a relationship just because of the way they make you feel or you think they're cute. Like, it's not how that works. <laughs> it's not how it works. It's an added perk, but that's not it. That's not how relationships are built. It's built on the spiritual foundation. The foundation that's actually going to stand the test of time and all the seasons of life, both the good ones and the bad ones. And the best example is in 1 Kings. Let's turn to 1 Kings and then we'll be done. 1 Kings chapter 11. I want you to see this. This is a great example. 1 Kings 11. Solomon is a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, he's also a great picture of the Antichrist and what not to do. And in chapter 11, he started making some seriously bad decisions. And it turned his heart completely away. And then God warned him of it. So chapter 11, 1 Kings, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Now, if you take that phrase, strange woman, and you search for it throughout the scriptures, you'll find that it's not a good thing. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh... Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. 
God specifically said, don't. Don't get intimate with them. Because when you do, it's not that God hated these people. It's that he cared so much about the nation of Israel. He says, don't allow them in and don't go in unto them. Because if you do, it's going to turn your heart away. And if your heart gets turned away, everything else is going to follow. Everything else in your life is going to follow and it's going to be a disaster. Verse 3, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as David, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build in high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And I'm telling you, this is very dangerous. Very dangerous. And you can take a look at this stuff in your life. When you allow the things of this world, devotionally speaking, let alone physical. I mean, we can get to that. But when you allow little things in your life that God says, hey, you're holy unto me. Don't let this come into your life. And you let that in. Or you go and you take part in that and you pull it into your life. It's going to turn your heart away. I was arrogant as a teenager and I thought, yeah, I can do this and it's not going to affect me. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. Oh, I got this. I, I, I can handle this. No, I was weak. I was absolutely weak, and I didn't even see it. I convinced myself that I would be fine when really I wasn't. And so with Solomon, he made a big, big mistake. It makes me think of Matthew 6, 21, where it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And just like Lot, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, so Solomon refused to pitch his tent toward God. And what you allow, in, what you allow your heart to behold will eventually be what you become. This is very important. This is something you're going to have to really think on. Whatever you allow your heart to behold will eventually be what you become. Because this is what happened with Lot. He viewed Sodom, then he dwelt in Sodom, and then he became a leader in Sodom. And so if you choose to view God and the things of God, if you let your heart truly dive into the things of God, and you really learn to dwell with Him and walk with Him, then you're able to lead properly. And you're able to make good decisions. So, man, I, I hope that you really take these things and you really think about them. Because if you want to grow in your walk with God and you really want to have a, a good spiritual foundation, it's learning to be in the center of God's will. It's learning to be faithful as a disciple and actively involved in the work of the Lord. And it's learning to be faithful in the little things in your life. So let's end with this last paragraph and then we'll be done. Your personal relationship with God must be the top priority. It impacts every other relationship in life. When your relationship with God is not right, no other relationship will be right. None. It's not possible. This is especially true, missed a word there, this is especially true when it comes to dating. As you walk with God daily, you will find yourself glorifying Him by being in the center of His will actively taking ownership in his work and being faithful in every area of life, not because it is your duty, but because you love him. This kind of life allows a love for God and his work to become such a focus that you pursue him in every area of your life. It shapes your character, your values, your habits, your behavior, and your decisions, and especially your future career and potential spouse. 
In fact, you may be so busy pursuing God that you will not even be looking for your future spouse. He will have to be the one to bring you both together. And I'm telling you, that's hard to do, especially as a teenager. In our world today, this is extremely difficult because most people are not willing to wait and to be patient for the right person. And you've got to go back from the very beginning we talked about. Ladies, what's your responsibility? What kind of guy you need to be looking for? A faithful man. And fellas, who are you looking for? A virtuous woman. And it is difficult to find. This is why I said last week, that doesn't necessarily mean just because they say they're a Christian or they go to this church means that they're, that they're fair game. Like it's, that's, not, that's not the standard. That's not how this is supposed to work. Because there are a lot of people that go to this church that are not faithful, that are not virtuous. They might be learning how to be faithful and learning how to be virtuous, but that takes time to prove out, which means that you must wait. And this is one of the hardest things for teenagers to do. And the sooner you get started, the easier it will be. I frankly think, and this is kind of how I look at it, that ladies, you should be so in love with God that most guys will never even approach you because they're so stinking intimidated. (laughs) I mean, honestly, that's how I look at it. And guys, you should be so godly that you would protect and look out for the girls of this ministry more than anything else because you care about their purity just as much as you care about your own in God's name. And if you follow those tracks... My goodness, you will find a gem. And you'll find the right person that will be able to truly glorify God. And you'll, you'll be able to build a life that will truly honor God. And then build a legacy with future children that will honor God from generation to generation. So that's building a spiritual foundation. Next week we're going to talk about how to prepare yourself emotionally. And what does that look like? And what does the Bible say about preparing yourself emotionally? And then the week after that we're going to talk about the physical side and how to prepare yourself when it comes to the physical side of one day marrying that person in the future. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. I pray that you would help these things to settle deep down into our heart, that it would be very, very fruitful. I pray if there's anyone here today that is just struggling with something, um, whether it's a sin issue or uh, maybe there's somebody in this room who thinks that they're saved, but you really revealed to them that they're not, uh, I pray that they would uh, that they would just be honest and they would call out to you to, to be saved. Maybe there's people that are saved in here, and they're just not walking with you. And they, they think they're okay, but they're really not. And you made that really clear tonight, that they need to learn how to grow in order to be the person that they ought to be for their future spouse, but most importantly for you, and to honor you. Whatever it is, God, I pray that uh, the people would be obedient, and they would not let the day go by without really dealing with some of these things. So thank you, God. We love you for loving us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.